Hello and welcome to Holmes, Borden, and the Watson Papers. This is your host, Chris Dilworth. Thanks for joining me. Well, we finally made it. We're at the day of the murders, but not quite ready to start. We've got to wrap up a couple of things having to do with Wednesday, August 3rd. Lizzie had flatly denied going to Smith's drugstore, and when asked what she was doing Wednesday, she said that she had felt sick all day, just like her parents had felt sick, and she hadn't left the house until six, that she had been lying around in her bedroom pretty much all day trying to recover. We don't have any other witnesses besides these three guys down at the drugstore. No other witnesses who could verify they had seen Lizzie out in the city, on the streets at any time prior to 6 p.m. Wednesday. Doesn't mean she was home the whole time. Doesn't mean anything in particular. It just means that the prosecution and the police could not provide any corroborating evidence to show that she was out and about. Bridget couldn't say one way or the other because Bridget didn't go into the front of the house on a regular basis. Other than answering the front door on occasion, she never went into the front of the house. So she wouldn't have known whether Lizzie was there or not. Lizzie could have come and gone through the front door. So that is Lizzie's version of what she was doing on Wednesday. And then the last thing about Wednesday you need to know is that around 6 p.m., Lizzie went to see her friend Alice Russell. This is the person who turns on her fairly quickly and becomes an important government witness. And she goes to see her, and Alice Russell is a spinster. She goes to visit Alice, and she tells her this gloomy, foreboding story about all these circumstances and worries she has. Her father has enemies. Her father is rude to people. Her father had a run-in with some potential tenant. She overheard her father having an angry conversation with a potential tenant where her father was refusing to rent an empty store to the guy for some reason. She didn't see the person. She thinks it happened a couple of weeks before. She talks about a couple of break-ins at the barn, which Alice says, points out, were probably done by teenagers and that that's nothing to worry about, and that those happened a year or two earlier. And then she tells Alice about this daytime burglary that, for some reason, Alice had never heard about. So that's a bit of a surprise. But Alice says, that was a one-time thing. That was a year ago. I don't see why you're worried. And then Lizzie says that on a couple of occasions, the more recent one would have been a couple of weeks before this conversation. The other one was in the winter. She'd been coming home at night around 9, 9.30, quarter to 10, by herself, and she'd seen On these two occasions, she had seen a strange man who she couldn't identify because it was dark, but she'd seen a strange man lurking around the back door. And on both occasions, as she approached the house and went up the sidewalk towards the front door, the man had run off. And she didn't know if it was the same man or different men. She couldn't say. But all of these things made her nervous. And the final straw, of course, that made her nervous was that her stepmother had gotten it into her head on Wednesday morning that someone was trying to poison her and Mr. Borden and the family. Lizzie may have said to Alice, this isn't my idea. I'm not talking about poison. Mrs. Borden's talking about it. I didn't plant that idea in her head. What does she know? Did my father tell her something that I'm not aware of? Does Mrs. Borden know something that's going on that I don't know about? I'm not sure whether Lizzie put it in quite those terms, but she definitely said to Alice, Mrs. Borden is afraid someone's trying to poison us or them. And Alice told her, this is all a lot of worry over nothing. 
it's just ridiculous. So Lizzie goes home. She has this conversation with Alice and she goes home and she gets home probably around 930 or quarter of 10. And Mr. Morse has been back at the Borden home for maybe 15 minutes. And he's in the sitting room talking to Mr. and Mrs. Borden. And Lizzie comes in and they can hear her. The other adults, the Bordens and Mr. Morse can hear her come in. But she doesn't come into the sitting room and say hi to her uncle. She hasn't seen her uncle yet. She hasn't said hello to him, but she doesn't, she still doesn't. She goes upstairs, straight upstairs. She locks the front door and then goes upstairs. At 10 o'clock, maybe 15 or 20 minutes later, Mr. and Mrs. Borden go to bed. Mr. Morse goes to bed. And Bridget, who has been out that evening visiting her own friend, gets home at maybe 10, 15, 10, 20. She comes in the side door. That's how she always comes and goes. Locks the door and goes up to bed. So. We're now finally at the morning of August 4th, 1892. So let's get going with that. Let's start with Mr. Morse. He's the first one up on the morning of August 4th. He puts on his trousers and his shirt. He doesn't have a change of clothes. He doesn't apparently have a toothbrush. He leaves his bedroom door open and he goes downstairs. The other two doors that open off the landing on the second floor, the, the landing that is reached by the front stairs, are closed. One leads into Lizzie's bedroom. The other leads into a large walk-in closet. So there are three doors on that landing that you can access by the front stairs, and one of them is open, and that's the guest bedroom door. So down he goes into the sitting room where he waits. About 15 minutes later, he hears Bridget come down. Bridget is getting everything ready. She opens up the side door, the big heavy wooden door, keeps that open. That's going to stay open all day. Then she opens the screen door and she brings in the milk and she goes down in the cellar and she gets some kindling and some coal and she gets the fire started in the cook stove. And I'm sure that Mr. Morse could hear the clatter of the lid coming off the cast iron stove so that Bridget could get the fire started. And so he's listening to her bustle around the kitchen. Around quarter of seven, Mr. Borden comes down and he does his usual morning routine. The only difference is he brings an empty basket out with him. So he goes out into the yard with a small basket and with his slop pail. And he always brings his slop pail down. He dumps it out by the pear trees and he fills the basket with ripe pears that have fallen to the ground. Then he goes to the barn, which is, again, part of his routine, unlocks the padlock on the barn and goes in and rinses out the slop pail. He didn't like to use the toilet in the cellar. He liked to use the outhouse, so he probably used the outhouse this morning. That's attached to the back of the barn. He closes the barn door. He comes back in. He puts the pears on the kitchen table, washes his hands, returns the slop pail, and then he goes in and spends some time with Mr. Morse. Mrs. Borden comes down. Maybe she's already down by the time Mr. Borden gets back in. And she always has a conversation with Bridget about meals. And it's no different this morning. They decide what Bridget's going to serve for breakfast. And then Mrs. Borden says, what do we have for lunch? And Bridget says, there's plenty of mutton. And Mrs. Borden goes, let's just have mutton and whatever else you can produce. I won't need to go to the store this, this morning. Now, I don't know if she specifically said, I won't need to go to the store this morning. But it's clear that if she's telling Bridget, we have everything we need for lunch. It's clear she doesn't need to leave the house that morning. 
And this is important. And I don't think the prosecution picked up on this. I don't think they used this. I don't remember them using this in their closing argument. And I think this is a really important point. And it doesn't come up. It's not really mentioned again, but I will tie it in later and explain to you why it's so important. So Bridget gets breakfast ready. Mr. and Mrs. Borden and Mr. Moore sit down. They have their breakfast. When they're done, they go back in the sitting room and Bridget comes in. It's her turn to eat. She's in the dining room. She eats. Then she starts clearing everything off. And Mrs. Borden at this point, everybody's in the, everybody's in the sitting room except for Bridget. Lizzie's not up yet. Mrs. Borden at some point gets up and gets a feather duster and she's kind of participating in the conversation and she's dusting and she's coming and she's going. And Mr. Borden is pretty much staying in the sitting room, although once or twice he leaves to do some chore or, or do something he needs to do to get ready to go downtown. At quarter of nine, Mr. Morse says he ought to be going. He's got to go and visit the niece and the nephew, and he doesn't want to wait too long because maybe they have something planned and maybe they're not going to be at the relative's house. So he really ought to get going. So Mr. Borden walks him to the back door, to the screen door, lets him out, invites him back to lunch, tells him definitely come back for lunch. And then Mr. Morse heads off and we don't see him again until about quarter of 12. So we're going to stay at the house. We're not going to go off with, with Mr. Morse. He's gone for a few hours. So Mr. Borden has locked the screen door again after letting Mr. Morse out. And he goes up and he's getting ready to go downtown. And he has to put on his shirt and he has to put on a detachable collar and finish dressing. And that's going to take a few minutes. It's now about 10 minutes of nine. And, for, and Lizzie makes her first appearance. Now we see Lizzie. She's come downstairs. Bridget has felt lousy all morning. She's had a headache from the time she got up and she's feeling nauseous. And so just as Lizzie comes into the kitchen, Bridget's about to head out to the backyard to be sick. She and Lizzie have a brief conversation about breakfast. Lizzie says she's all set. She'll maybe have some coffee and maybe a cookie or two, but Bridget doesn't need to worry. Lizzie will fend for herself. So Bridget goes out into the backyard and she goes to a spot in the backyard where she cannot see the side door. And she's out there for 10 or 15 minutes and she's sick to her stomach and she's just feeling lousy. She has to take that time to just recover. She needs 10 or 15 minutes to pull herself together. And while she's in the backyard being sick and trying to get herself together, Mr. Borden comes out. He's now dressed. He's ready to go downtown. And we know he comes out around nine o'clock because Mrs. Churchill who has the property to the north on the other side of the driveway, not far from the Borden house at all. She's looking out her kitchen window and she can see the Borden property. She can see the side door. And she testifies later that while she's looking out the window around 9 a.m., she sees Mr. Borden standing right there at the back steps. It looks like he's preoccupied with something. He's paused. He's thinking of something, but he's not there long because when she looks again, he's gone. So he's obviously headed into town. Now, Bridget didn't see him go. And when Bridget comes in from being sick, and it's about five minutes after nine, Lizzie's not in the kitchen, and Mr. Borden has gone, although Bridget didn't see him go. Bridget's got some things to do in the kitchen, and she's in the middle of doing that when Mrs. Borden reappears in the dining room and asks Bridget what she has planned for the day for that morning. Does Bridget have any special chores she needs to do? 
And Bridget says no, because Thursday's an open day for the most part, Thursday morning. Monday, she does the laundry. Tuesday, she hangs the laundry out to dry and brings it back in. And Wednesday, she irons. Thursday's usually open. There's no scheduled chore or task for the typical Thursday. And Mrs. Churchill testifies later, or she tells the police in an interview. I don't remember which it is. It might be an interview and not formal testimony. But Mrs. Churchill says to the police or to the prosecutor that when the windows were washed outdoors uh, at the Borden house, it was almost always on a Thursday. That doesn't mean that every Thursday the windows got washed. What it means is that when the windows were washed, it was almost always on a Thursday. So that's what Mrs. Borden wants Bridget to do on this day. It's a Thursday. And she says, I want you to wash the sitting room windows, the parlor windows, and the dining room windows on the outside. And I want you to wash the sitting room windows and the dining room windows on the inside. The sitting room windows are on the south side of the house. They're on the side of the house that is opposite where the screen door is. The other windows are all on the north side of the house. Bridget says she'll do it, but she needs to finish cleaning up and she'll get to it as soon as she can. This is five or 10 minutes after nine. This is the last time that Bridget sees Mrs. Borden alive, about 9, 10 on Thursday morning. And Mrs. Borden doesn't realize it, but she's going to be dead within minutes. Nobody else knows it except for the murderer or murderers. It's been a normal average, boring Thursday morning as far as Bridget, Mr. Morse, and Mr. and Mrs. Borden are concerned. There's nothing special about today. And when they try to reconstruct the morning afterwards and they ask Bridget about times, she's not precise because she had no reason to be paying attention to the specific times that she was doing things because she had no reason to think that this day was going to be special in any fashion. She didn't know that this was going to be the worst day of her life. She didn't normally pay attention to the clock. She really didn't have any reason to. At any rate, she finishes the chores that are still ahead of her before she can actually get to washing the windows. So she finishes washing the dishes, she dries them, she sets the table for lunch, And then at that point, around 9.35, 9.30, 9.35, to the best of her memory, she goes into the sitting room and shuts the windows. And she goes into the dining room and does the same thing. So in quick succession, she's gone from the kitchen to the sitting room to the dining room. And nobody is in any of those rooms except for her. Mrs. Borden isn't in those rooms. Lizzie isn't in those rooms. And as far as Bridget knows, there's nobody else in the house. Now, Bridget doesn't think anything of this. Why should she? She doesn't know that a murder has already taken place, possibly, or is about to take place. She doesn't know that. So why should she worry that Mrs. Borden isn't in the sitting room or the dining room? And of course, Bridget also knows that Mr. Morse had spent the night there and that Mr. Morse had slept in the guest bedroom. So if Bridget did give it any thought, she easily could have concluded that Mrs. Borden was up in the guest bedroom making the bed or changing the sheets or cleaning up in some fashion. It was nothing to worry about. It's only relevant in retrospect. It's only when she looks back on this and she's being questioned that it seems significant. 
So she has shut the windows. She's gone down to the cellar and retrieved the pail and the head of the brush. What she needs to do is go out to the barn and get the pole, which is long and which screws into the head of the brush. And for some reason, the pole is always kept in the barn. And she heads out the screen door and she's taken a step or two towards the barn when she hears Lizzie talking to her from behind. And she stops and turns and there's Lizzie just inside the screen door. Lizzie has appeared out of nowhere. Lizzie wasn't in the sitting room or the dining room, but suddenly she's downstairs. It's as if she's just appeared magically. And she says to Bridget, Maggie, which is what she called her, are you going to be washing the windows? It's obvious that she is. She's got the pail. She's got the brush head. She says yes. And then she says, you don't need to lock the screen door, but if you want to go ahead, I can get water from the barn. If you feel safer locking the screen door, go ahead. Whatever you want to do, doesn't matter to me. I'm not asking you to lock it or or leave it unlocked or anything. And Lizzie says nothing. She doesn't say what she intends to do. And again, because Bridget has no reason to think that anything horrible is going to happen that morning, she thinks nothing of it. She turns and she goes to the barn. Here's where we lose track of Lizzie. We've lost track of Mrs. Borden. We know Mrs. Borden was in the dining room around five or 10 after nine. And we don't know her whereabouts again for certain until about 1130 that morning. So it's now 935 and we don't know where she is, what she's doing, whether she's alive or dead. We aren't going to know anything until 1130, give or take a few minutes. And as for Lizzie, all we can really say for sure is that from this time, which is 9.35 or 9.40, until about 10 minutes of 11, we know that she's in the house. She's under the roof. She places herself there. She doesn't claim to have left the house. She never claims that she left the house. She doesn't tell that to the police. She doesn't say that when she's questioned at the inquest. But where she is, which rooms she is in, that remains unclear. And her own version, her own account of where she was that morning changes. And the clearest account we have, to the extent that you can call it a clear account, is given at the inquest, which took place a few days after the murders. But we aren't there yet. All we know at this point is that Mrs. Borden, whether she's alive or dead, is in the house. And Lizzie is in the house, but we don't know exactly where. Bridget fills the pail with water. She goes to the barn, fills the pail, and she goes to the south side to start washing the sitting room windows. And while she's on that side of the house, she spots the maid who works for the Kelly family. The Kellys live in the house just to the south of the Bordens. Mrs. Churchill is to the north. And all three of these houses front onto Second Street. So Bridget knows the Kelly maid and she talks to her over the fence. So she spends a few minutes with her back turned to her own house. Bridget's got her back turned to the Borden house. And remember, she's on the other side of the house from the side door, the screen door, which is unhooked as far as we know. And so they talk for a few minutes. And then after they're done talking, Bridget starts washing the windows and she does the sitting room windows first. And then she gets around to the other side of the house to do the rest of the windows. And she's periodically going to the barn to dump out the dirty water and fill the bucket up with clean water. This takes her about an hour. 
And so around 1035, 1040, she's done washing the windows. The pole is back in the barn. The pail has been brought down to the basement with the brush head. She's up in the kitchen and she's ready to wash the windows on the inside. She gets a stepladder, a bowl, and a rag, and she goes into the sitting room, and she starts washing the first window in the sitting room, and she's about halfway done with the first window when she hears somebody trying to get in at the front door. She gets off the stepladder, walks into the hallway, and tries to open the front door. Now, she's not used to opening the front door. She rarely does it. On those occasions when she does open the front door, usually the only lock she has to deal with is the spring lock. It has a knob. You turn it and you turn the knob, the doorknob, and you turn the spring lock knob and you pull the door open. But for some reason on this particular morning, which is not typical, all three locks on that door are engaged. There's a bolt that slides across the door. That's easy. You just slide it back out of the way. That's not hard but there's a deadbolt lock. She keeps getting that wrong. She locks it by accident. She can't get the door open and then she unlocks it, but something else goes wrong. And it just goes on for a few seconds and she gets frustrated. And I'm sure that there was some noise generated by the locking, unlocking, the bolt sliding and so on and so forth. And then she says, oh, Shaw, which was the 1892 version of gosh or darn. And when she says that, She hears Lizzie laugh in response to that exclamation, apparently in response to that exclamation of frustration. There's a laugh, and it's coming from upstairs. It's coming from somewhere up the front stairs. Lizzie might be at the head of the stairs, she might be on the landing, or she might be just at the doorway to her bedroom. But she's close enough to the front hall to hear Bridget, and she's close enough for Bridget to hear her laugh. We're going to end right there, and when we pick up, we'll talk about the murders, and we'll talk about the discovery of the bodies. That's what we will get to in the next episode. I hope you join me. I look forward to talking to you again next week. Until then, take care.